Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I am your host, pregnancy-focused chiropractor, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is an OBGYN, an MFM, maternal fetal medical specialist, and he has been a guest on the show before. Today, we're going to talk about the structural ultrasound, also called the anatomy scan, usually done somewhere around 20 weeks. And I have so many questions about it. No one better to ask than Dr. Stephen Rad. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Berlin. It's always great to speak with you and be on the podcast. Welcome to everyone. I learn so much every time I talk to you. Pretty much everybody who's pregnant, at least in the United States, ends up going through an anatomy scan. And I'd love to learn more and share more with our audience about when that's done, what it's like to have it done, and what are some of the things that we're looking for? What do we find on these ultrasounds? Let's start at the beginning. When is it usually scheduled for? So I agree it's a great topic to discuss. As you pointed out, almost every pregnancy in the United States will undergo a second trimester fetal anatomy ultrasound. Even most of our patients who want the lowest interventions, I work with a lot of midwives and a lot of patients who want the least intervention, they still undergo the 20-week ultrasound. So to answer your first question, I keep calling it, we're calling it a 20-week scan. It's a so-called 20-week scan. It can be done traditionally between 18 and 22 weeks. It is preferred to be done 20 to 22 weeks, where in the past we used to do it a little bit earlier. Nowadays, it's more commonly done at 20 to 22 weeks. So why do we wait till then to do the scan? That's a great question. Around 20 weeks, the particularly the fetal brain and heart are developed well enough that we want to see specific landmarks that we look for in a screening fetal anatomy scan. The brain and heart are developed optimally to be seen at that time. So the brain is ever-evolving and developing during the pregnancy, and certain structures don't show up sometimes until then. And the heart and the cardiac views are better with a bigger heart. So it's picked as that traditional gestational age range, mainly for those two reasons, for visibility and development of the fetus. 
Are there sometimes that it's done deliberately earlier or later? Yes. So it's an excellent question. What is up and coming in maternal fetal medicine is called an early fetal anatomy scan. Now, about five years ago, a lot of the MFM started to realize the machines got better and our experience got better and our visibility got better. Ultrasound starting around anywhere from 11 to 13 weeks, we could start to see some of the fetal anatomy really beautifully and especially by like 15 and 16 weeks. And what started to develop is a so-called early fetal anatomy ultrasound. So a lot of us who are very passionate about ultrasound internationally, we're already talking about this back maybe in 2017, 2016. And for older professors, they've been talking about it for years. I remember London, I think it was around 2018 for a conference in the early fetal anatomy ultrasound in the London School of Ultrasound. And in any case, it has become a little bit more common as it's spread across countries and nationally here in the United States, where the early fetal anatomy scan is becoming more recognized as an entity and uh, more and more MFMs are being trained in it. So you can technically do an anatomy ultrasound, a detailed first trimester anatomy ultrasound, first of all. And second of all, certainly by about 16 weeks gestational age, you can see a lot of the structures that you traditionally see at the 20-week scan. One of the concerns is sometimes the brain, like I was saying, isn't developed well. Not that it's not developed well, but some of the landmarks aren't there yet. But if you are really into ultrasound and a great sonographer, you are able to see some of these early structures if you are trained and done thousands of ultrasounds or train yourself or trained by someone. You can start to see some of the early landmarks at 16 weeks. So for patients who have a poor pregnancy or previous child with an abnormality, or family history, or some genetic issue in their family, or just taking them a long time to get pregnant, whether they're having recurrent losses or IVF journey, so on and so forth, or just someone who wants early scans and you know the best care early on, those folks may opt to do an early anatomy ultrasound. So I would say it can be done definitely by 16 weeks, if not earlier. By about 13 weeks, we can even do early fetal echoes now, which is ultrasounds of the baby's heart, which traditionally are not done by pediatric cardiologists closer to 20 to 22 weeks. So later, the better they prefer. We can see a lot of the structures as early as 13 weeks, even earlier, and detect abnormalities even in the first trimester. What kind of machine is used to do this ultrasound? Is it different than the kind at a typical obese office? Yeah, so... The typical ultrasound, it's an advanced, not to name brands or try to advertise for anyone, but most of them either use a Philips or Samsung ultrasound typically, and that's internationally. We all use the same machines. Some, of course, are more up-to-date. It's like having the 2022 versus the 2023 car or whatever. It's like having a Ferrari or Lamborghini or Rolls-Royce, really expensive Mercedes, for example compared to a more basic car. That's the difference is, does your machine have the greatest resolution and it comes with the ultrasound machine, the processors in it, and also on your ultrasound probe and the crystals it uses versus a regular 
just basic ultrasound machine. I mean, now they even have handheld machines that you can use on your iPhone that are very, I mean, you don't even have a machine, it's just a little handheld device in your iPhone. So, oh, soon we won't even need the doctor. We'll just say, hey, Siri, do the yeah. uh, anatomy scan. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, those machines are not adequate enough to do the detail that we're talking about. So these machines that maternal fetal medicine specialists use, or fetal specialists across international use, are very specialized machines that have the resolution to be able to see these things. I'll tell you, we just got our new machines um, a little bit before the new year, or 2023. I use GE machines that... Volume called the Volusan E22 ultrasound, and Doctor Berlin. I thought I had the best machine, but this machine, and they kept telling us upgrade your machine or it's coming. You know, they they were telling us a year before, and I didn't believe it. I'm like, oh, it's like getting a new latest iPhone. Anyway, so took the plunge and I got it. And I was one of the first in California to get the machine. It is incredible what you can see on. The machine now that even six months ago couldn't see, especially like we even do a lot of vaginal ultrasound nowadays to look at fetal anatomy. I mean, it is just incredible. You can see so many organs in the first trimester that six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, you couldn't see. Meanwhile, three, four, five years ago, I thought I had the best machine and had no idea how much more the technology can advance. So our machines are definitely different than machines at the OB office or the handheld ones. And and it's not meant to be disrespectful or putting anybody down. It's just a, I mean, answering your questions to tell you the truth. Truth is good. Truth works. What's the difference between 2D, 3D, and 4D machines? So the majority of the ultrasounds we do for the fetal anatomy, and in general, we use 2D ultrasound. So... Those are the black and white images, the traditional ultrasound you see, just looking at ultrasound in two dimensions. Three-dimensional ultrasound or 3D ultrasound looks at three different planes. So let's say you have a ball or a brick. And so the probe will look at the ball or brick from the top, from the side, and from the middle. It will look at the image in three different planes, what we call sagittal, coronal, and axial, and it will put the image together into, so for example, if you're looking at the fetal face, it'll put it rendered into a three-dimensional image of the fetal face. If you break down the image, you can actually look at the structure in the various different planes. So if you're looking, for example, doing a three-dimensional view of the heart, the kidneys, you know, you're not going to get that face picture, but you're going to get three different planes of the kidneys. And then you can move it around and look around the kidneys literally in three dimensions and look at it from each view. Because each view, for example, if you're looking at a view of the brain, flat or axial versus sideways versus a middle slice, each gives you a different piece of information at that level of the brain, kind of like an MRI machine does. And it reconstructs the brain for you. And so we often use 3D when we're looking at different organs, particularly the brain I use for diagnostic purposes. Otherwise, it's more for keepsake or to look at the face, for example, not really for diagnostic purposes. And then 4D is live 3D. And so it's just three-dimensional image live watching it over time, the fourth dimension is a time dimension. 
And so you can see like the baby moving in the three dimensions and it's all cute. I personally haven't used the 4D for any kind of diagnostic purposes. Not sure if someone's figured out the way to use, unless you're looking at like a tumor maybe or some structure and you want to see how it's all connected. You're trying to figure out, map something out. Maybe the 4D can help you, but it's mostly that as a keepsake kind of ultrasound. And then there are some companies that have trademarked or marketed 5D imaging, and I couldn't tell you what that even is. They they just <laughs> called. Does the baby sneeze to, on you? Does you feel the water? <laughs> they called it. It's more of a marketing. Maybe they, they called the three D four D maybe it's five D or something like that and trademark. But anyways, it comes down ninety eight percent, ninety nine percent of our ultrasound comes down two D ultrasound. You know, real diagnostic, but it really comes down to two D ultrasound. Three D ultrasound, you can use it on some structures, particularly the brain. And as I was saying, it's really the fact that the machine has those advanced capabilities I mean, you know it's just significance is that you know you have that capability on the machine only comes with certain machines like these advanced machines that we were talking about earlier got it let's take a quick break when we come back we'll talk about what the experience is like for the person having the ultrasound we'll be right back This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back. We're talking about structural ultrasounds or anatomy scans with Dr. Stephen Rand. Okay, so we determined in the first segment kind of when you might do it and what the machines are like and what they can tell you. What is this like when somebody comes in? What should they prepare for the experience to be like physically? What happens to them? So this is an excellent question because preparing the patients and patient executions are very, very important um, because I've seen when patients are not prepared or haven't been explained by their referring provider what they're coming for and they have a complete wrong expectation so what happens at your anatomy ultrasound really depends where you're going who's doing it where in the world you are and wherever you are referred to because it can vary greatly so first of all you come in you obviously go to the doctor's office a fetal center you check in and you go to an ultrasound suite or room or lab whatever they like to call it and you are going to be laying in bed 
usually on your back, flat, and there will be an ultrasound machine, usually to your right, and in front of you, typically your fetal centers have a screen, a monitor, projector, or um, if you get fancy on the roof, up top you can see what the sonographer or physician scanning you can see. So that's the typical, you can bring usually a partner or support person or family or friends, whatever their visitor policy is. And then at that point is when things can be variable. Your anatomy ultrasound can be as fast as 5 to 15 minutes. There are some sonographers or maternal fetal specialists who can do the scan in 5 to 15 minutes. And whether that's because they've been doing it for 40 years, 50 years, or they have short protocols, or some of them are really advanced and employ specialized 3D imaging where they get volumes, you know, get a bunch of volumes of pictures and they analyze it later. So you can have a five to 15 minute visit. Some places will take half an hour. Some will take 40 minutes. When I first started, I was taking three hours. Now I typically take an hour, hour and a half. And then depending on where, again, the center you go to, you will be scanned by different people. You may be scanned by a sonographer or you might be scanned by the physician directly, or you might be scanned by a sonographer and then a physician, or you might even have a student first see you. So some kind of variation in that. The five to 15 minute ultra. So anyways, I was going to say, I can't even tell you an average. Maybe average is like 40 minutes between the five and 15 minute visits to the one and a half hour, two hour visits. I kid you not. You probably heard from mutual patients that used to take three hours, but I've reduced it now to an hour and a half. But well, hang um, on one second. So I know I'm going to get this question, which is you said they're lying on their back, but then everybody gets told not to lay on their back when they're, you know, at home. Can you lay on your back for an hour safely? Yeah. You know, so the issue with laying on your back for a prolonged period of time is blood flow to your, the mom's brain and heart and to the uterus, the compression of the vena cava. Some patients are very sensitive, probably less than 20% will actually get dizzy at some point and ask to be turned or they may get nauseous. And the majority can tolerate it completely. We're watching the fetus during the alternate all times. So, you know, in theory, if it's not getting good blood flow to it, then its heart rate would have a deceleration and we can see that. But from sitting for five to 50 minutes or an hour, hour and a half, I've never seen a new fetus be affected by laying flat. You're also only around this 20-week mark. The uterus weight is not as much. And so it's not as much of an issue as you are in the later trimesters. You, Slipping on your back at 37 Yeah, and, and you know, this sure, that's like a much different situation. Those ultrasounds typically are shorter than the anatomy ultrasound. And the difference, I mean, you're talking like sleeping the entire night on your back versus a short period of time during the ultrasound while the fetus is being monitored. You know, when you're at home, you're laying on your back, you have no monitoring, so you wouldn't know what's happening. It's a little different. And again, it's still 20 weeks, so they're typically not uncomfortable. We offer, when ultrasounds are taking a long time, well, from the get-go, we, say we offer breaks. You know, we explain to them to let us know if anything feels uncomfortable, they're pushing too hard. And if they need a break, they need water, a snack, a bathroom break. And we constantly kind of ask them, again, how are you doing? Do you need a break, et cetera? And sometimes we'll take what we call an intermission once or twice, oh. especially 
if the baby is not moving, I'll be like, okay, so it's inter- <laughs> we call it intermission. So they can go buy snacks. Yeah, we have snacks in the office. We bring them snacks and water, and they go to the bathroom. They walk around a little bit, and we start it again. Okay, so Dr. Red, on your typical anatomy scan, right? Let's just say average pregnancy, let's say first baby, just a healthy singleton baby. Do you follow the same order each time, roughly the same order in how you do this? Yeah. Okay. Can, yes. you, can you walk me through the different regions and what you're looking for? Yeah. So we, depending on the baby's position, we either start from the head down or from the feet up. We always go in order. And so you need to make sure you don't miss anything. And we memorize our protocols in the fetal anatomy by heart, but by going in order. So it's a safety guard. Anyway, so you first start out, the first thing you look at is, you actually look at the maternal structures first, not the fetus first. So I always look, make sure there's a heartbeat and a fetus, and then we continue. But then I look at the mom's cervix, and I want to check, make sure the cervix looks long and closed. Then look at abdominally. We do do a vaginal ultrasound at the end. Some centers will start with a vaginal ultrasound and look at your cervix length first. Some places do the vaginal ultrasound at the end. In some places, we'll just look at your cervix abdominally. That's usually typically the first place that every... What are you looking for at the cervix at 20? Uh, we want to make sure that the cervix is long, so there's no signs of cervical shortening or early labor. Okay. Next, this protocol should, pretty, should be typically universal when it comes to fetal specialists. So next thing you would look at is the placenta location you look at if it's anterior posterior if it's low lying or there's a placenta previa and then at the placenta you want to look at where the umbilical cord is coming out of the placenta we call the umbilical cord placental site insertion site typically it comes out of the middle of the placenta if it comes towards the side you would call it eccentric if it comes off closer to the edge it's called the marginal cord insert and if it's not even attached directly to the placenta. It's called the filamentous cord insertion. Filamentous. Yes. Okay, these all sound helpful and informative. Is there a practical difference whether the placenta is anterior, meaning in the front, or posterior in the back? There is no difference for us. We care mostly if it's covering the cervix or not. The difference is sometimes women whose placenta is anterior, they feel the fetal movements a little bit later in the pregnancy. Because as the baby, sorry, as the fetus grows, the placenta of its anterior and the top wall serves a little bit of a cushion, kind of like a pillow. Maybe it's kicking or punching into this placenta. But no clinical and difference. No, there's no clinical difference. So there can be, not necessarily, there can just be from a patient perspective, a little delay in feeling fetal movements with an anterior placenta. It's not always the case. Um, but there's no clinical difference for us. Unless so you're like doing a C-section. Only clinical difference is the time of delivery. You want to know where the placenta location is. For example, if you're doing a C-section, so if, if it's anterior it's in, and you want to know if you're going through it to get to the baby or if it's posterior, you know, just for delivering and surgical purposes. But otherwise, it doesn't really matter. So just collecting a data point. Yes, yeah, so it helps though the delivering the obstetrician, helps if someone's scanning in the future where to look. Okay, right. So for concern issues, you're looking to see if it's too low in covering the cervix, placenta yes. previa, and how the cord is inserted to see if there's a problem there. And also yes. other placenta anomalies? Um, I mean, sure, you can have like 
a placenta that's too thick or there's a placenta mass plus placenta accreta in patients who have particularly previous C-sections or they have a placenta previa where that's where the placenta gets too stuck to the uterus and then you can have bleeding at birth. So you want to look for like signs of placenta accreta in specific clinical scenarios or just if it looks abnormal. The placenta can be calcified and the placenta towards the third or later, you know, under the pregnancy. I do want to point out one thing since you brought that up is the size of the placenta. The size of the placenta, not everybody looks at or measures. In our center, we take care of a lot of women with previous pregnancy losses and previous stillbirths. And one of the common cause of stillbirths was a small placenta that wasn't noticed. So our clinic is actually a certified rainbow clinic. It's the second in the U.S. and a small group internationally. We take care of women with previous stillbirths and pregnancy losses with a closer monitoring and a very strict protocol. And one of that part of that is to do to check the placental size and placental volume by a method that was developed by Professor Kleinman at Yale University, who personally trained me and came out to our site and we made a training video to try to train other providers and there's a whole app by gestational age. So we look at the placenta volume as well and measure the size of the placenta. And patients with a smaller placenta have higher risk of fetal growth restriction, pregnancy complications, and stillbirth. And so that's something that we look at closely. Okay. So we have the cervix and the placenta. And then yeah. what happens? And umbilical next? cord. Oh, okay. And the umbilical cord. And then next, we look at the next maternal structures. We look at the ovaries or adnexa on the sides to see if there's any cysts or like or any cysts in the ovaries during uterine fibroids that we need to monitor during the pregnancy. So then those are the, the basic maternal structures that are looked at. Okay, then we move on to the fetus. Part of the fetus, we look at the amniotic fluid volume at the second trimester. You can look at it qualitatively, like subjectively. And we all know as we do ultrasound, what's a normal amount of fluid, or you can quantitatively measure the amount of amniotic fluid, what we call the single deepest vertical pocket. Is the range of normal change from month to month? No, it's always two. We always want it to be between two and eight. So there's both a quantitative and a subjective or qualitative. So you, you always want the deepest pocket to be between two and eight? Correct. And then what about the AFI the other way? You could do an AFI at 20 weeks, but typically to do an AFI, a uterus is divided into four quadrants. I mean, uterus isn't that big at this point. You could do one in theory, but the more proper thing to do is to just measure a deepest pocket. And there has been studies showing that there's no difference in outcomes or significance between deepest pocket and full AFI. So even before those studies, never really measured an AFI at 20 weeks. Some fetal centers or specialists may do that, and you can still do that. And still, the range is the same, 5 to 25. Okay. So that is the fluid. Yes. Then I typically look to see that there's a three-vessel umbilical cord. So there should be three vessels in an umbilical cord. One vein and two orders. Correct. And you can either look at that by looking at a piece of the umbilical cord and at a cross-section of it, and you can actually see the three vessels, or you can look at the blood vessels around the bladder. 
the two arteries around the bladder to be present. And then you know that, that there's not what we call a single umbilical artery situation. So there's two vessels in the umbilical cord, one vein, one artery, or what's it called? So either two vessel cords, or another name for it is a single umbilical artery. So there's two ways to look for that. So we wanted the normal is a three vessel umbilical cord. Okay. Um, then I personally, some folks might do later when they look at the fetal heart, but I check right away to see what's called the fetal situs and make sure that I look at the position of the baby or sorry, fetus to see if it's like head down or if it's breech or it's laying sideways transverse and where the spine is. And we look to see where the heart and stomach and where all the organs are. And we make sure that the heart and stomach are on the left side of the fetus, the fetal body. So it's called a normal side. So we make sure the organs are on the correct side of the body. So that's where, when I do it, that might be a different in other people's protocol where they look at that when they're looking at the baby's heart and chest. So from there, then you go head to toe or you go feet up and you go in order. And if you can't see something, you move on and skip it and come back, but you stay in order. You do not move around. Classically, students or new OBGYN residents or stenographers or people who don't do ultrasound often are like just randomly looking around for a leg or a face or head. We don't do that. We start in order. Always in order. Okay, so when I'm looking at the fetal brain, we're looking at the shape and size of the, of the head. And we're looking internally at the basic structures and making sure the brain, for example, is divided in half and making sure the correct foldings are there and present. The amount of fluid is normal. And I look at the cerebellum, which is the bottom part of the brain. We look at the neck fold again or the nuchal fold and make sure all of that is looking good. Okay. And then from the head and brain, we move down to the face. In the face, we're not just looking to make sure the baby looks cute. <laughs> we're looking at the orbits or the eye sockets. We're looking at the lenses of the eye, looking at the nose and nostrils, we're looking at the nose and lips and the palate, making sure there's no cleft lip or palate, looking at the profile and making sure that there's no abnormalities in the forehead or the actual nose and lips and that entire structure, making sure that it's symmetric. And then looking at the chin, and then we might get a cute 3D at that point. Then, then we'll move down to the arms. We look at the upper arms, are humerus. Then we look at the forearms, the radius, and all none. Then we look at the hands and we count the fingers. And then we move on. We look at the we make so we make sure you know there's, there's all the fingers and two hands and two arms, etc. And we move down and look at the baby's neck. Make sure there's no masses or abnormalities in the baby's neck or the shape or position then we'll move down to the fetal chest and we'll look at the chest appearance and size and in the chest we look at the heart and like i said earlier we double check the situs or the position of things and make sure the heart's on the left side of the body and the heart has four chambers and it has outflow tracts so there's a lot of connections between the heart and the valves to make a long story short, so we make sure all the heart is pumping well, it's structure and function, it's position, it's the heart rhythm, all that looks beautiful. Make sure the valves are looking good, making sure the arteries and veins coming off the heart and the structure, large ones, for example, that go to the lungs or the aorta that takes blood to the 
upper body and to the lower body from the heart and the veins that bring blood back to the heart. We look at all that. I'm going to make sure the blood vessels are crossing over each other correctly. There's a lot of details in the fetal heart such that you can be even seen by a pediatric cardiologist and get a full fetal echocardiogram either by a pediatric cardiologist or your maternal fetal medicine specialist may be trained in formal fetal echo. The heart is a complicated structure. We look at the lungs around the heart as well. When we look at the diaphragm, which is a muscle that separates the chest from the abdominal cavity and is a muscle that helps you breathe and works on its own, goes up and down. So everyone should know what the diaphragm is. And make sure that diaphragm is present and that the organs in the stomach are separate from the organs in the chest. There is an abnormality called diaphragmatic hernia where there's a hole in the diaphragm and some of the organs from the belly, like your liver and stomach, can end up in your chest. Then we move on to the abdomen and we measure the size. By the way, the head, we measure the size of the head. I didn't mention that. Arms, we measure the bones, measure the bones and the arms. And as we go down to the abdomen, we measure the fetal abdominal circumference, which I think we've done a podcast on the fetal growth restriction together. But so we measure the size of the fetal abdomen. In the abdomen, there's organs. The main organs we look at are the stomach, liver, gallbladder, make sure there's two kidneys. We look at for the bladder, make sure there's no dilated intestines or any abnormal masses or nothing's enlarged or blocked from these organs. And then around the bladder, we talked about how you tell a three-vessel umbilical cord. If you're looking at the two umbilical arteries, which pass over the bladder before they go into the belly button, which by the way, we look at the umbilical cord insertion in the abdomen is what we talked about, the abdominal cord insertion, the placenta. We also make sure that the umbilical cord is coming out, that the abdominal wall is closed. There's abnormalities where there can be an opening in the abdominal wall and the umbilical cord itself. And the organs of the abdomen are just sticking out or spilling out. So we make sure that the abdominal wall is completely closed and we look at the umbilical cord but that that it's your belly button, but it's all closed up and looks nice. Then we go down a little bit lower. We'll go to the pelvis and we'll see the fetal sex, which will let you know if you want to know or hide it. And then we look at the legs. So we look at the thigh bones and measure those. We look at the leg bones and can measure those. And we look at the feet and toes. And then lastly is the spine. We want to look at the spine appearance, shape, my favorite part. And position, <laughs> yeah. And you want to make sure that there's a complete spine from top to bottom, all the way from the neck down to the spine tip. Um, the, everything in the spine is closed up. And one of the most common abnormalities we look for is spina. It's rare, but one of the more everyone's worried about is spina bifida. Make sure that there's no opening in the spine where the nerves are coming out. And make sure that the entire skin line over the spine is closed. That sounds like I could see why it would take an hour or more. There's a lot. Yeah, of, uh, so measuring. I don't know how the hell, I don't know how you can do it in five to fifteen, but there are some people that. Well, like you said, maybe they just take a lot of pictures and do the analysis later. So yeah, a lot of them do that, and there's just a lot of fetal specialists. If you've been doing this for like 30, 40 years, your eyes are trained, and you can do it really fast. And it also depends on how you're saving it. If you're saving each picture versus not, it's really what I call like a tour of the the human body from head to toe. And we look at it very carefully and we look at each organ carefully. And it takes a long time because 
we want to get most beautiful images and make sure that everything is really, you know, it's following the protocol carefully. And we double check things. So we see things at least twice. And then if I'm not in the room, I just have one sonographer, Brittany, who a lot of patients know or might be listening know and, and love. But if she does it and I'm not there, then I'll have her scan head to toe live for myself to see. And we'll double check everything, but not with the saving everything, but she'll show me everything if I hadn't done the scan myself. Okay, um, let's take one more break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you a few questions that people ask me. And I'm not the right person to ask, but you are. We'll find out when we come back. (laughs) Hey, everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're finishing up our discussion of the anatomy scan with Dr. Stephen Rad. You've already given us so much information, Doc. Uh, Here's a couple of questions that people ask. Is there anything someone needs to do before the scan to get ready? Like sometimes for these clinical things, you want them to have a full bladder, an empty bladder, eat or don't eat? No, there is nothing you need to necessarily do. I would make sure you come having eaten because it can be long. Bring maybe some water with you or a snack if you like. And I think just knowing where you're going, how long they take is most, just kind of being prepared in terms of that. Because the hardest thing is if mom's schedule right before the other child needs to be picked up or right before bedtime or they need to be at another appointment, it can be pretty stressful to them. So we recommend that you plan accordingly depending on what you're quoted at the fetal center of how long the scan will be. I think that's the biggest preparation you can do. So you're not in a rush or the person scanning you is not in a rush or you're not angry about it. You know, we don't want anyone to get angry or disappointed or whatever. So I think just planning on the time is the most important thing. In terms of empty bladder, full bladder, we have everyone empty their bladder before we do their vaginal ultrasound. And the ultrasound is so long that we want them to be comfortable. And if we need their bladder to be full, it fills pretty fast. Is oftentimes people need to even take a break in the middle. So we just have them empty their bladder from the beginning. So I think most centers, you know, back in the, I think in olden times, they would tell you like, oh, drink a bunch of water before you come. And maybe some centers still have those rules, but pregnant women's bladder is still What's pretty the benefit quickly. of a full bladder for ultrasound? So the, if the bladder is full, you can see the cervix or placenta location or certain structures a little bit better. A full bladder sometimes affects the position of the baby. So if there's the bladder is empty, there's a lot more room for the baby to move. The bladder is full, 
and maybe the baby was more likely to stay in a specific position so you have more time to look at the spine for example but oh. if you can only see the spine you can't see the face or heart because the baby's looking down and showing its spine up top we have to have you go empty your bladder and hope the baby flips so really it doesn't matter for us we start whatever i mean we have everyone empty their bladder and whatever we see we see and we move forward so like i said you know we have an order that we go in but if the baby's position is not ideal for example the seed in that exact order we come back to that structure or that organ system one more question um, for you which is it seems like some people are nervous about doing ultrasound it's not radiation is there any concern about doing ultrasounds or doing too many ultrasounds what would you tell somebody who's nervous about doing it and would prefer to skip so dr berlin yeah you know there's some very old studies that may have suggested ultrasound for too much ultrasound can be unsafe but you know there is no radiation like you said to our current knowledge there's no adverse effects of getting ultrasound and the systems now are regulated and monitored for fetal safety and especially if you're a certified center you're one of the part of the certification is to show that you have the correct settings on your machine and in terms of the number of ultrasounds again there's some like studies that show that ultrasound can heat structures so but it would take many hours of a fetal ultrasound machine that's regulated to cause any if ever any tissue heating um, but it would have to be on there for many hours or months at the doctor's office doing their anatomy or another ultrasound so the fetal ultrasounds rest assured to our knowledge are safe there's no danger in them and are regulated and that's different than some of the therapeutic ultrasound procedures you might hear so there are some procedures for whatever the conditions where they use ultrasound are very high energy. And that's different than what you're getting in the fetal ultrasound. That's um, good to know. And lastly, we don't recommend, it's not recommended to do ultrasound. By the American College of OB-GYN, they don't. Of course, a lot of people do get these like 3D ultrasounds. There's even ultrasound centers. You just go just for 3D pictures. And again, they're, they're usually really for a visit. They give you like four or five pictures and you go. And technically, they're safe. But... It's not recommended to do ultrasound for fun, for example, but of course, many people want to do that. But even if you do their short visits, and it should be safe, to be honest. Dr. Rad, thank you so much for another great episode and lots of informative data about what to expect during an anatomy scan, when it's done, what it'll feel like, approximately how long it takes, and what are the things that we're looking for. As always, I appreciate your expertise and spending your time with us. Where can we find you online? First of all, thank you for having me. Thank you for our listeners. I enjoyed that because ultrasound is my one of my passions and what I do every day, all day, at least six days a week. You can find me online. The best place is on our Instagram at Dr. Steve Rad. And our office is in West Hollywood, Beverly Hills at the Cedar Sinai Medical Office Towers. Amazing. And at home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. For more pregnancy and parenting information, visit us online at informedpregnancy.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's going to test.
This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. <laughs> 